Welcome to Hospitality Forward, a podcast where hospitality and travel professionals learn how to earn the media spotlight. I am Hana Lee, president of Hana Lee Communications, an award-winning public relations agency in New York City. And I'm Michael Anstendig. I'm a freelance writer who covers food and beverage. I'm also editor-in-chief at Hana Lee Communications. Our podcast is our agency's way of supporting our beloved hospitality and travel community to help it rebuild and rebound. As a PR professional myself and Michael as a journalist, we understand the power of media coverage and its impact on someone's career and business. So each week, we interview top journalists who share their insights and tips. In this episode, we chat with Bao Ang, food and drink editor of Time Out New York. Previously, Bao was research editor at Bon Appetit, following a stint as a New York Times Weekend Fair columnist. Hi, Bao. Hi. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Bao. Well, let's start by winding back the clock a little bit. Uh, you began your career in journalism, in newspapers and magazines, and then you left to go to culinary school. Had you been looking to change careers or was school a way for you to, you know, deepen your understanding of food that you'd be writing about? What, what was your journey like? Yeah, everyone's, you know, path is a little bit different in, um, you know, who works on the media side covering food and drinks. Um, for me, it was always really important to have a solid journalism background. So then, you know, I always knew I wanted to write about food and kind of be part of that. Uh, world, but I decided I wanted to spend the first few years of my career as a newspaper reporter. So I did that um, at the St. Paul Pioneer Press. That's my hometown newspaper uh, in the Twin Cities. And, you know, I was covering school boards, floods, murders, you know, all sorts of breaking news. Um, just to really kind of get a strong uh, reporting base. And uh, I did that for about two and a half years and quit my job and moved to New York about 12 years ago. And then, you know, I didn't have a job when I moved to New York. And I said, what can I do to, you know, kind of align all my interests? And I decided to uh, enroll in culinary school. You know, I, I love to cook. Um, culinary school was a great experience. It is very expensive. <laughs> so uh, I wouldn't necessarily recommend that to everyone. But, you know, I made it work for me. And I kind of used that as my path into food media. Um, I started blogging uh, for Andrea Strong. She had a blog called The Strong Buzz, which was very big, yeah. um, was kind of a contemporary of Grub Street and Eater uh, in the early aughts. And, you know, I worked for Gail Green, interned for her and kind of, you know, worked as her assistant for about a year. And that, you know, that was great experience. Um, but, you know, this is 2009. So um, the economy wasn't in the best shape, as I'm sure a lot of people remember. And I ended up uh, after culinary school enrolling in uh, grad school at Columbia and uh, decided to enroll in this uh, Master of Arts, um, Arts and Culture Journalism program and used that as my path. Um, I got an internship at the New York Times and kind of went back to news reporting. Um, but I, I said, you know, hey, here's an opportunity, take it. And, you know, did a lot of reporting on the Metro desk and kind of um, worked myself over to um, what was called the dining section before it being called food mm -hmm. now. And, you know, interned on that desk and then eventually kind of became a regular freelancer uh, for a few years and and um, kind of used that to kind of freelance for a while. And then, you know, 
became a research editor at Bon Appetit. And then now I'm at Time Out and I've been at Time Out for about a year and a half now. Well, congratulations. So we know you love to eat out and uh, we've been seeing you posting some amazing home-cooked meals on Instagram. So how has the pandemic changed the way you look at food? Or are you enjoying cooking more now? Or have you had it up to here and you're ready to go out and eat out again? Yeah, it's interesting because I feel like I spent the last decade going out for dinner or drinks, you know, easily four or five nights a week. Um, it's really fun when you first do it. But then after a while, you know, you want a night just to yourself or you just want to get takeout or eat a bowl of cereal. But um, so it was kind of a, actually a welcome break for me to be able to cook uh, at home, which I love doing. So, I've, you know, I have this huge list of uh, bookmarked recipes that I've um, collected over the years. And I'm, I was finally able to make a dent in it uh, since the pandemic started. So I really enjoyed that. You know, I do miss going to restaurants and bars. Um, you can't recreate that kind of experience the theater of going out as a lot of people like to call it and you know obviously we want as many restaurants and bars to survive this pandemic you know and there's outdoor dining at the moment in new york but it's not quite the same i still try to go out uh, you know a few times a week try to support the restaurants i haven't gotten tired of cooking i think now that the weather's uh now that we're into fall i think i'm getting back into it a lot more and uh, it'll be interesting with indoor dining coming back in New York to see how we all feel about that and, you know, how, how New Yorkers respond to that as well. Definitely. So Time Out New York magazine is a synonymous with going out. And given the, you know, closings of many bars and restaurants and or limited outdoor options during this pandemic, how has the, the magazine itself pivoted? to stay relevant? Uh, well, pretty early on, you know, um, obviously, you know, Time Up is a global brand with a lot of recognition. Uh, we became Time In. And it wasn't until this uh, summer when when the city started kind of reopening um, that we switched back to Time Out to focus more on what everyone knows us for. But um, yeah, so, so I think that was a brilliant move uh, among my colleagues to make that decision to kind of rebrand ourselves as time in. Very smart. Um, for example, I, yeah, I, I started writing about recipes for the first time, which is not uh, something Time Out ever really did. And that was not something that readers come to Time Out for. But, you know, we published a recipe on um, Junior's Cheesecake. So I baked a Junior's Cheesecake for the mm -hmm. first time in my life. And it actually turned out pretty well. How, um, how, how'd you get the recipe for that? Well, they did publish a book a number of years ago, but, um, you know, they were very happy to share their recipe. Um, not everyone does that, but, you know, it, 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 you know, it was fun for me just because I was able to use uh, some of my cooking skills, which I don't use as much uh, in time out in terms of uh, actually testing a recipe or doing an Instagram live of recreating this junior's cheesecake. And there's so, and because we have so many restaurants and bars in New York, um, you know, people are doing so many different creative things to stay in business. So, so there's not a lack of stories. If anything, I feel um, it was difficult to actually keep up with with all the news. Well, speaking of keeping up with all the news, you know, how how do you stay on top of it? You know, it's difficult. Uh, you know, um, I try to make sure that we cover a mix of, you know, kind of all the heavy hitters that, you know, all the, the restaurants and bars that everyone talks about and reads about. But we also at time out want to write about places that 
don't always uh, receive tons of press or that, you know, that you don't know about just because it's not in downtown Manhattan. I recently wrote about a Burmese restaurant that's located inside a subway station here in Queens. Um, we wrote about a woman who bakes hala in her apartment on the Upper East Side. Um, she was was trying to find work and couldn't do that during the pandemic. And she decided to start baking. Everyone was doing sourdough and she's like, you know, she can't find yeast. So she's like, well, I'm going to learn how to make hala. And now she, and you know, she's kind of in that social media world as well. So she was very good about promoting her hala and she had a pop-up at a pretty popular bakery downtown recently. And so, you know, we want to write, write those stories because I think people want to know what's happening uh, locally still. So how are you finding these stories? How did you find that lady? Or did she find you? I, I remember it was on social media. I think I saw someone tag her in a post. And then I, I was looking her up and it's like, wait, no one's written about her. And so I just reached out to her and said, we're interested in like hearing about your story. Would you be open to chatting on the phone for a little bit? Uh, I can't promise a story right away, but it sounds like you're doing something really cool. I'd love to learn more about it. And then all the pieces kind of fell together. And um, yeah. The power of social media right yeah, there. Definitely. All right. So, Bao, um, you know, this uh, used to be the time of the fall review, but uh, that isn't really the case this year. So, that said, um, we are still seeing new restaurants and bars opening in New York City. So, in your opinion, uh, what neighborhood are leading the charge? Um, yeah, so I don't know if I see a concentration uh, within a, a specific neighborhood where all the businesses are opening up. Um, Brooklyn has been, you know, so hot uh, for so long, and you know there continues to be um, openings of restaurants and bars. Um, if I had to generalize a little bit, I don't feel like I've seen the big restaurant groups opening up new businesses. Um, I don't know exactly why. I don't know. Maybe it's a, it's a cost issue. Maybe they're being a little bit more conservative. Um, and maybe that's a chance for, um, you know, smaller businesses to kind of step in and, you know, people who are very entrepreneurial, you know, so you're seeing people, you know, hustling as a lot of New Yorkers is to try to open up and uh, give themselves an opportunity. And I think we'll keep seeing more, of these independent, you know, smaller businesses giving it a try because people always want to eat and drink, uh, especially in New York. You wrote a story recently on the most in-demand outdoor dining reservations. Mm -hmm. Which outdoor experience has really stood out for you over the last several months? Mm. Um, I was at Bouvet recently. It just is a really um, nice experience. You know, the tables were spaced apart. You know, they definitely had a had a system going with how they clean the menus or the tables. Um, you know, they wanted you to wear your mask when your server was at your table. Um, and I think part of it has to do with, you know, it's on um, Grove Street. So, you know, it's very cute there. And, you know, there was a cellist playing that night on the corner. So, so it felt very, uh, you know, you couldn't, you couldn't make it any more New York in that moment but so, you know, sounds but, very transporting yeah but you know then i also heard though at bouvet you know it's crazy on weekends there's lines down the block for brunch apparently and i don't know if that would have felt the same as on that monday or tuesday night that i went right. a few weeks ago right so we are excited to see even with a limited capacity um you know indoor dining is coming back which is great for the city but at the same time what do you think uh, will be the greatest 
challenges from a health and safety point of view, both for guests, but also the business owners, restaurants and, and bar owners. And, and their teams. I think it's very much TBD whether what a second wave might look like in the city. And I think personally, you know, I, I'm too nervous to kind of be indoors at the moment. Everyone has a kind of different comfort levels. So I think safety-wise, I think restaurants are prepared to make sure that, you know, guests are as safe as possible and their employees as well. Um, but at 25% capacity, at least initially, everyone that I've talked to said that, you know, while it's a great start, it's by no means, you know, you, you can't survive on that. Uh, you can't just pay 25% of your rent. Right. And even at 50%, it's still difficult. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, now that we're heading into um, flu season and when we could be more at risk to see how this pandemic unfolds. And if anything, I think we've just learned that this year is uh, unpredictable. Absolutely. Yeah. Interestingly, so many restaurants offer private dining rooms for parties and dinners. And traditionally, they've been kind of a hard sell except during the holiday season. But do you see that changing post-pandemic as more guests want cozy experiences exclusively with their own small groups of friends and family? Mm. Interesting. Um, maybe that's a story idea for me. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I haven't heard about that, but you know, I, I, I think there are diners that definitely people who would feel more comfortable being in a private room with their family or their pod of friends. Uh, versus being in a more open dining room or outdoor setting, mm -hmm. well, that's still mm -hmm. possible. But that, you know, like, I don't know, like, yeah, I don't know how restaurants feel. I mean, the restaurants want the business, obviously. And they're trying to balance, you know, the health and safety of their employees, um, while also kind of balancing their business needs. But um, no, yeah, I, I, I could definitely see that being in demand because um, people are still going out. Um, and, and for the story that we worked on about the most kind of in-demand reservations for outdoor dining at the moment, you know, some of these places are booked up weeks in advance still. So I think there's, there's definitely a demand, you know, for dining at restaurants, whether it's outdoor, indoors, private dining rooms. Uh, I don't think that's going away. No question about that. So about Time Out New York is known for its best of list. So with this pandemic affecting good part of the year, how are you approaching the list right now? You know, for especially best restaurants, best bars, which we are huge fans, uh, you know, reading each year. Um, you know, it's, it's been really tricky. You know, we didn't update our best of lists in the first few months just because, you know, we're kind of in this like new territory that we didn't really know how to navigate, you know, like in June and July, once, you know, outdoor dining became uh, an option, um, that's when we had to start thinking about, you know, how do we handle these lists and uh, do they really reflect, you know, best of, mm -hmm. you know, and mm -hmm. how much do we promote these lists because we haven't been to all these spots and a lot of them have changed, um, you know, not only their menus, but, you know, kind of uh, the concept or the theme of their restaurant or the bar. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, we've been trying to uh, make sure that we're deliberate about our updates. So our best restaurant list right now is actually at 50 restaurants versus 
100. You know, it was just not really manageable mm-hmm. uh, to do that. And obviously, all the best restaurants were places that currently offer outdoor dining. So uh, we've had to be on top of updating those lists and kind of keeping track of, you know, uh, the restaurants and bars and what they're offering. And, and, and it's, you know, and to be honest, it's, it's been tougher for bars just because we don't really go to a bar to be six feet away from someone. And, you know, bars have had to, you know, are put in a spot where they have to now serve food or essentially become a restaurant to stay in business. So we're constantly asking ourselves those questions. Like, do they have to offer to go cocktails? And, um, you know, if there's one bar that seems like they're too crowded or they're not good about social distancing for their guests, you know, do we factor that in? There's a lot of questions that we have to ask ourselves. And I think we're constantly trying to find the right balance. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think the whole concept of what the best restaurant or what the best bar is has changed and has evolved under, you know, these circumstances. Definitely. I, I read somewhere that uh, your first official post-pandemic dinner is going to be in Flushing, Queens, <laughs> munching on dumplings and noodles. Mm, so yum, do you have yum. any <laughs> any specific spots in mind? And would you mind some dinner companions? Uh, always. I'm excited. I, wanna eat, I always want to eat more dumplings and noodles. Same um, here. So I, I actually moved to uh, Jackson Heights, um, kind of in the middle of the pandemic. And I play, I play a lot of tennis and uh, the U.S. Open site is in Flushing. Yep. Uh, so it's not very far away from me. And obviously, I wasn't able to play tennis for the, for, for the longest time. So it was kind of like tennis and great food in Flushing. So that's that was kind of my one of my picks there, you know. Um, but I like White Bear for their dumplings. Mm. Um, there's so many places um, in Flushing that I haven't explored. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to live in Queens is just to um, be closer to all these restaurants that I haven't been to and just kind of live in, live in the middle of, every, of everything. Yeah. I mean, I have to say Flushing is like a culinary haven. It's, it's, a, it's a wonderland. For, for people like us who love to eat. Yeah. So um, in coming months, what kind of stories will you be working? You know, we want to take kind of a, a big picture look in terms of food and drink. You know, how has the industry changed? You know, what has been the impact of the pandemic in the past six months? You know, um, you know we want to talk about the future of indoor dining um, and how that will shape. And like we just talked earlier, you know, restaurants and bars are still opening and we're still covering those. Uh, we want to cover those new openings and, you know, keep New Yorkers in the loop about what's new, uh, what's happening uh, on the scene. Yeah, so important. Yeah. So let's talk about pitches. What were some of the top three pitches that you received recently that wowed you? And what were some pitches that were immediately deleted from your inbox? <laughs> I hope it's not my email. <laughs> um, oh, it's, it, it's kind of hard to pick out just a few because there's so many, but... I, I feel like the pitches that resonate the most tend to be a bit personalized or they just kind of happen organically. Like, you know, someone will email me and say, oh, I have an idea or like, oh, did you know this is happening? And then, you know, we kind of get into a conversation. And th- I feel like those stories tend to work out the best. Um, mm-hmm. Pitches that tend to not do as well or, you know, where I know this is like, you know, I'm just kind of like one of 500 people that this was email blasted to. And, you know, I, I like to have those press releases and those pitches on hand because you never know when it might come in handy for another story or 
you know, when you're working on a story and I just will just go through my inbox and type in something like, okay, um, you know, restaurants using air purifiers or something like that, you know, like it might not have been a fit uh, that particular day, but maybe two, three months down the road, it will be. Um, so I don't mind getting those, really, but I think the success rate is like much lower. Can you tell us top three things that our listeners, when they pitch you, shouldn't be doing? Top three don'ts. Uh, make sure you're addressing the right person. <laughs> it happens very often where um, either I've been confused with someone else or it was just... That's no um, good. No good. No, you're, you're, one, you're one of a kind, Val. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, you, know, you know, like I respond to most people, whether, you know, if it's a short email or not. But, you know, I feel like, ah, if someone didn't take, you know, the 30 seconds to make sure it was addressed to me, even if it's like a mass email, then I'm less inclined to respond back. Um, second, just make sure that the story you're pitching hasn't been covered already. Um, that's a quick, okay, pass or delete. Third, um, photos. I know it's hard. I know it's difficult, especially in a digital space where it's digital first in so many cases when the art doesn't exist it's hard to sell the story you know once in a while you know if the story is amazing obviously we do all we can to make it work but if there's a pitch and the art is weak and it doesn't have to always be professional but if there's no art then it's just very difficult to you know run away with the story so and sometimes like if the pitch is a little bit weaker but there are great photos you know sometimes that gets that you know that opens other doors as as a writer, that's that's very humbling. Yeah, but but don't you think that with this t- uh, challenging time, it's hard to get um, professional photography? Mm-hmm. So are you yeah. a little more forgiving to less professional photos that comes to your way? Definitely, yeah, definitely. And you know, and the range of like professional photography varies too. You know, like sometimes the photos are too stylized or they're too product driven. And that doesn't necessarily work for our audience, you know, especially on social media, you know, the, a lot of photos you know, that aren't shot by professionals do really well still. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's just more to have a visual component. So like, you know, it's just something to kind of help give a visual um, to help tell your story is also it's very important. And it doesn't always have to be shot by a photographer. But if it's high res and it's horizontal, those are like two great. Thanks. Okay, listeners, remember it has to be horizontal, not yeah. vertical. And give us the photo credit too, so that no one gets upset and credit is given where exactly. it's absolutely exactly. Now for the listener question segment of the episode, uh, we have a question from Ed Schoenfeld, owner of Red Farm and Decoy in New York City, who's a 50-year veteran authority on Chinese food and the whole food scene in New York City. So Ed wants to know how you envision the future of dining in New York City. Will it be a return to February 2020, before the pandemic and everything was normal? Or do you envision something completely new and different? Uh, I think a lot of that will depend on how long this pandemic goes for. Uh, The longer it goes, the more restaurants and bars we'll see that will just permanently close. They can't make it. I think, you know, if we're in for a difficult winter, you know, and and it will be challenging already because, you know, with the limited capacity um, and with, you know, once it's it's too cold for outdoor dining, 
Um, that's a completely different challenge. If the coronavirus virus like magically disappeared today and we felt everything's safe, then I, I then I would be confident in saying things would be back to February 2020 eventually. Um, but if we're into the spring, early summer, then I think there's like serious questions about what dining will be like because I think a lot of restaurants feel, you know, restaurant owners feel that um, there's not enough support from the government. You know, like if you want us to provide, you know, healthcare for our employees, you know, there has to be a system, you know, that makes it possible, you know, for smaller businesses to be able to do this. Um, there's a lot of conversations about how the industry might, you know, like maybe this is the opportunity for the industry to completely reinvent itself to change how it operates from the kitchen to the front of house. When we're talking about issues of compensation and restaurant culture, bar culture, healthcare, you know, even the how people want to dine out. Um, some people think, oh, maybe it'll all be chain restaurants. I don't think that will be the case <laughs> in New York. I certainly hope not. Yeah. So we call our podcast Hospitality Forward because we truly believe that our industry will come back despite huge challenges that you, we are going through. So in your opinion, what kind of innovative things are you seeing or hearing about the restaurants and bars are doing right now that takes our hospitality forward? I think restaurants and bars were, you know, they were kind of forced to do this, but, you know, like just to be more accessible in the home, you know, for people, you know, just whether it was takeout or delivery or putting together um, packages where you could cook meals from the restaurants at your stove because they can't be open currently or because like people feel safer in their own homes. You know, bars are doing canned cocktails. Everyone is feeling you know, the pressure to be innovative and try to figure out how to get their food or their drink, you know, what they're known best for into the hands of consumers. Because I think that demand is still there uh, and always will be because there's something to be said about someone, you know, although kind of different in this case, but kind of preparing food for you or food that's not cooked by you, by yourself, takes on a different uh, meaning it's a different experience. It's that, it's that hospitality that everyone craves, and that's why it's such a huge industry in New York. And, you know, I, I love the fact that, um, you know, a mayor said once, uh, New York City is the greatest restaurant city in the world. And I agree. And I think the role of Time Out, um, you know, covering our industry and the city is very important. So we thank you for what you do, Bao. We love what you do, and thank you so much. Oh, thank you. Always happy to chat. And our, our last question, Bao, where can our listeners find you? Um, obviously, all, all, all my timeout stores are timeout.com backslash New York. I'm fairly active on on Instagram. That's Bao, at Bauhaus, B-A-O, H-A-U-S. Great. Thank you so much, Bao. It's been great. Thank you. And we hope to see you soon at a restaurant somewhere in the city. That's a great idea. Thank you, Hannah, Michael. Bye-bye. Bye. What a delicious conversation. Now I'm craving dumplings and noodles. Now that you know what Bao is looking for, if you have a worthy story idea to share, 
reach out and mention that you heard him in our podcast. If you enjoyed our conversation and learned a tip or two, then please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or iHeartRadio. In our next episode, we chat with Jason Pfeiffer, Editor-in-Chief of Entrepreneur. Tune in to listen to this expert on all things entrepreneurial and solving problems and learn how to tell your story in the most compelling way. See you next week. Until then, join us as we move hospitality forward together.